0: Human-centered communication is all about emotion. Data plus emotion equals memories. And so you just don't want to give them all the hard numbers on how you're going to sell their home faster than than everyone else. That's an important part of it. But if you only give them the data without the emotional part, it's not going to be ingrained into into their memory.
1: Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is brilliant thoughts with success people editor tristan almada the show that thinks about how personalities relationships and communication shape business success and now here he is tristan almada
2: so i don't often get to interview my friends but in this case you're in for a treat because these two guys are my friends in fact steve Pastinelli is a longtime friend we used to speak together for realtor.com way back in the day. And then I got to meet Ethan Butte when Steve jumped in to bomb bomb. This conversation revolves around human centered communication, which is also the title of their new book. Go pick that one up. This one goes in deep into how we function when it comes to communicating with each other. Get ready to take notes and pick up that book. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts. I'm your host Tristan Almada and this is a success podcast and I've got two of my friends with me. It's kind of interesting because I don't usually get to interview friends that have also been great authors and I mean we've known each other for a long time. Steve Bassanelli, Ethan Butte, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And you guys have a new book out. It's called Human centered communication. It's your second book, mm-hmm. and Steve, I feel like the Wall Street Journal kind of forgot your name on the book or something. They,
0: <laughs> <there>? <laughs> they did, but Ethan was on it, and they fixed it. So, so now it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> like
2: <laughs> I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, good job, Ethan.
1: Yeah, man, I was on it. You know, it's such a team effort. I mean, not just Steve and me. I mean, our names are on the cover of it. We relied on a lot of people to get this done, but Steve generated the idea, maybe a story we wind up talking about here in this conversation or not. Steve came up with the idea. He does all the internal selling, and I just put my head down and get moving on it, and he clears the path. He drives the ideas. A lot of the relationships were his. And so when I saw it go up on the website as a Wall Street Journal bestseller. I was like, all right. With only my name on it, I had to get on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, even before I saw it, Ethan was taking care of He's like, I got you. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) don't
1: worry. And and I felt personally responsible somehow. It's like, I'm sorry, my last name is alphabetically before yours.
2: (laughs) That's so funny, guys. Well, tell me about the creation of the book because – this is your second book and I, I finished reading it you guys sent me a copy of it thank you so much yeah. it was a great great book great read I enjoyed the first one but this one was this one was deep and it was great <laughs> and it was I loved it that you sectioned it off and I felt like I it, it was like mini books within yeah. books and I was like that's that's different
0: uh, and I liked it a lot so tell me tell me the idea behind that the, the difference, you know, so we put out Rehumanize Your Business, and we wanted to put out a book that was about video and help uh, introduce people to video and and get them going on it. And, you know, just like with anything else, you can be successful with it or not. And Rehumanize Your Business covered video, but what it didn't cover was what do you put in those videos? How do you communicate? The words that you use are more important than the, than the medium you know, that, that you're using. And so you can't just use video and expect it to work. We need to communicate in a human-centered way, a way that puts the needs and wants and interests of the recipient on equal or level playing field as your own. And we wanted to teach people how to craft compelling messages while they're communicating. And honestly, it works with video, Text messages, day-to-day communication, human-centered communication is all about putting those needs first of your recipient or at least on, on level playing field. And so you felt like, and I love that you said that. Tristan because you were like I felt like this was like deeper and that was the intent of this it was like okay let's kick this off with video with rehumanize your business now let's come in and let's go deep and talk about the language that you should be using and how to forge connections it's more difficult than ever to create connection in a digital platform no matter what digital platform it is and so we wanted to teach people how to create real deep connections not just from our knowledge but from the smartest people that we know all over the world in different industries. And, you know, we we found a commonality in the way that they communicate. And it didn't have a name um, when we were talking with them. And that's where we came up with human centered communication. It's all these people Ah. are communicating in the same way, doing the same thing. But what's that called? Like, what is that method that they're using to communicate? Like, how do we identify the key points? Is there a framework to that? Can we learn how to communicate that way? Because they're all doing it the same way.
2: All right. I I like that. Tell me, tell me more about, about YouTube. How do you communicate? Because as I'm reading this and I'm reading through all the different people that are featured in there, I'm thinking like, I think it was halfway through. I put a note. I'm like, I wonder how Ethan and Steve communicate. Then what, what do, what do they gravitate to? What do they think their strengths and weaknesses are? So let's start with that. And Ethan, I'll go to you first, man.
1: Sure. Um, Thanks for that. I, you know, i've I've done a ton of writing in my career. Like I came up in broadcast television before joining bomb bomb, which is now over a decade ago, which is crazy. Um, so I had done a ton of short form writing, hundreds if not thousands of unique pieces. So that was always a pretty strong muscle for me. And then when I got into, you know, the things that you and Steve are expert at, speaking, presenting, um, teaching, engaging people from kind of a stage type, whether that's virtual or, or in, in real life. Um, you know, when I first took to that, I was so excited about the information that I had and what I what I knew and what I wanted to share with people. And so it was really coming from not a selfish place. I mean, what I was excited to tell people about was exciting to me as information that I knew. Um, but going through this process of uh, deep interviews and research with the 11 people featured in chapters three through 13 um, reinforced for me a a journey that I had already started, which was making it so much more about other people. Who is in the room? Who is registered? Who's signed up? Who's on the other end of this email? Um, What do they need? What can the people that are inviting me perhaps, um, how much can I know about who's going to be in the room? And then taking all these things that I'm excited, I'm excited to teach all this stuff. Like you just like pull the string, I'll get all excited and all enthusiastic and start teaching you about video messaging and where it belongs in the customer life cycle, how to use it to engage employees and perhaps recruit and onboard them and all this stuff. I'm much more patient with myself in order to make it a lot more about other people. And so um, in terms of communicating, I'm really comfortable at this point, speaking, writing, live conversation like this. Uh, presenting, but the one thing that this really reinforced for me and dramatically accelerated my path on was really thinking first before I type a single word or before I show up or before I hit the record button, who is this for, what's in it for them, how much do I know about them, how can I meet them where they are, and with some fun and interest and excitement and enthusiasm and some storytelling, which I'm not as expert at as Steve is,
0: not not true. Take them on
1: a short journey and have them land in a better place than they started. Um, I guess that's, I don't know if that's more philosophical than you wanted. but <laughs> No, no. Uh, it, it goes a lot. Yeah.
2: I was actually thinking Julie Hanson from your book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Preparation, being authentic, all that. Uh, what did you learn from her? Because it sounds like you matched up with what she was saying right there.
1: Yeah. I mean, we ended up opening the chapter with this idea. So for folks listening, Julie Hansen is awesome. Um, She's right up the road from me in Denver. I'm in Colorado Springs. Uh, She was a salesperson uh, and a sales manager and looked around and felt something that I think a lot of people wind up feeling, which is I don't feel as confident in my role as everybody else around me seems Right? We've all been there before. Some people call that imposter syndrome or or, or other things like that. It's this kind of self confidence dynamic. So she ended up discovering acting classes and improv as a means or a technique to become more confident in herself and to discover and develop her voice. And she became a professional actor. She had a number of roles on Broadway, she had a part in Sex in the City. And so Steve and I really dove into that acting piece. And I think, like most people who aren't familiar with acting, Steve did have a, uh, a long run in the nutcracker as a child. And I I'd never that's a separate story for a separate conversation. I offered it just to see both so smile funny. and laugh. Dude, you but, said uh, it with such a
2: straight face. I was like, what? Yeah. Steve was in acting? I was like, what is this?
1: Yeah. In any, in any case, neither of us is an actor. And so, you know, we have this, this outsider's perspective of oh, that's like the, that's fake. You're putting something on, you know, you're acting, it's it's manufactured, it's it's inauthentic. And we could not have been further from the truth. What we discovered in our time with Julie is that it's really 180, the opposite of that, and that every good actor, when you see someone in a role and you just buy them from start to finish, you never even question... them being cast in that role, it's because, not just because they were well cast, but because they fully invested some significant, authentic part of themselves in this character that they're playing. And that's true of us in every role in our lives. The three of us play several similar roles. Um, Spouse, father, coworker, boss, friend, like we have all these different roles in our lives that we play throughout the day and we invest, they're different. We don't speak to our children the same way as we speak to our team members necessarily or the same way we speak to the person who helps us check out at a retail location. We engage these people in different ways. So we're investing different roles at different times, but we put our full authentic selves into uh, into all of them or most of them. And when we do, it's a better experience for everyone. And that's true, whether we're acting, whether we're showing up in a video recording, whether we're showing up in a live video meeting, whether we're showing up in person, whether we're showing up to give corrective feedback to a team member or to a child of ours. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, Julie really flipped our minds on authenticity in
0: acting. It, and acting. And she says, my favorite line out of that one is she said, uh, good, good acting and communication both start inside you, but they're not about you.
2: Mm, that's good, man. I like that. I think, I think I I don't have my, I just moved and I was looking for the book and I was like, damn it. So I went back to the notes instead and I, I have to see, I think I highlighted that Steve. So, all right, Steve, how about you? If, if, comes down to communication how how are you communicating before before you wrote this book communication style right what, what do you gravitate to what what is that like for you how do you prepare to communicate at the highest level
0: I mean I I think Ethan hit the nail on the head before you prepare to communicate with someone you need to know who you're communicating with and what's important to them. And if you always start with the other person in mind, because we we make the mistake, and this is a common theme throughout the book, we always make the mistake of like, oh, my God, I need to generate more sales this month or this quarter or this year, and it's getting to the end. And like, what do I need to do? I need to ramp this up. I need 15 more sales. And it starts with you and your needs and what you want. And excellent or fantastic, great communication doesn't start with that. It starts with the person. It's like, what, what do they need to do right now? What are they thinking? What are they feeling um, how are how are they acting? And then when you can connect with them and the things that they're doing and the things that they're thinking and feeling and how you can best assist them, you know, then you think about how they can help you in, in return. And so it starts oh, dude, with the recipient first. Isn't that how marketing
2: should work? It sounds like, <laughs> dude, I felt like I was talking to Seth Godin, Steve. I was like, oh, that's uh, Seth Godin right there. That's good, man. I like that. I like it a lot. All right. Talk to me about, because one of my favorite featured people was, and I, this is me reading off my notes, is Shep Hyken, is that how you pronounce Oh his yeah, name? Yeah. Dude, that guy, for me, that was, to me, that was one of my favorites. And he says, always be amazing. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is good. Tell me about that. I want to know that because I Defense. think our audience would love it.
0: Ethan's awesome. good buddies with him, so so like he's been over his house now. Like he's got a good relationship. So Ethan, what you you, you take this one, and I'll see if I can. Yeah, it. So in.
1: so quick. I it's okay. So first and foremost, I I expect that Steve was waiting in excitement and anticipation as I was when you were saying one of the people I was most. It's been the, one of the most fun <laughs> things about the way we structured this book was talking with different people and hearing who they really connected with, whose ideas they liked the best. Um, you know, where people found different kind of, uh, you know, kinship uh, throughout the book. Because as you said, right off the top, there's so many different personalities. Each chapter goes deep into an individual person's story Mm -hmm. and philosophy and teachings. And so I was excited to hear who you're going to say. So Shep Hyken's awesome. He's a Wall Street Journal, New York Times bestselling author. He's written like nine books. One of them is called Always Be Amazing. Always Be Amazing is his personal mantra. And the interesting thing about amazing is that it's like extraordinary. And the reason I said it as extraordinary instead of the way that most people say it, which is extraordinary, is that it's just a little bit better than ordinary. It's extraordinary. Being amazing is being slightly better than average all of the time. And that's why always be amazing really ties together well. Being amazing isn't ripping the ball out of the stadium at bat after at bat after at bat after at bat it's putting the ball into play it's getting on to first it's stealing second it's ripping a double off the wall it's putting one over just barely over the wall it's like it's just this consistent performance slightly better than average all of the time and when we can be slightly better than average all of the time a we're going to let people down less often B, we're going to outperform most of our competition because most of the people are swinging for the fences every time, which means you're going to have a whole bunch of strikeouts, which means inconsistency. So this consistent, predictable delivery, that's how we build trust human to human. When you think about the best friends in your lives, when you think about the family members you can count on and the family members who like... You know, they're just more flaky than some of the other family members. You're not going to ask that of her or you're not going to expect that of him. It's because they're just not consistent and they're not predictable. When we as business operators and as friends and as parents and as spouses can be consistent and predictable and slightly better than average all of the time, then we're going to be amazing. We're going to be amazing for people. And so sometimes we are going to do that over-the-top surprise and delight customer service delivery. But most of the time, we're going to do what we said as well or slightly better than we promised. Mm -hmm. And in that way, people are going to know that they can count on us. Last thing about Shep Hyken, and this is how you know that you've made it there, is when you hear things back that are like, this team always blank. I always uh, can count on them for blank. Um, she always, Responds. you know, is so kind. She's always helpful. They always reply in a fast manner. They always have a good table for me. You know, when I come to this restaurant, they always have this in my size. They always help me find the right thing. When anyone says something positive combined with the word always, you're amazing.
0: Yeah. Two things, if I could just add on, Tristan. Yeah, oh, go man. ahead, man. Please. Add well, on as much as you can. <laughs> One is it's just something that Ethan said in the beginning before he started talking about Shep and and being interested in hearing, like what connected with you and, and who, you know, who connected with you and which chap you know, which chapter. And that's really why we went down this path of this book, getting all these different personalities with different people, because we knew that we had a greater chance of connecting with someone. It's very similar to speaking from stage when you're on stage. You know, Ethan and I—we both talked about understanding who your customer is. And if you're on stage presenting, you have a wide audience, a wide variety of people. You try to create a presentation with different elements or facets of that presentation that could connect with different people because you don't know mm-hmm. who exactly they are out in the audience. So you go a bit broader. When you communicate one to one, you can get much deeper because you know who that person is, and hopefully you know more about that person. But from stage, you're going really broad. When you write a book, you're going really. Broad, so you need to you, you need to lengthen. You need to add more into it to connect with more people. If that's what you know, that's what your goal is, and it all comes down to the reader, the viewer, the audience member. It all comes down to their personal stories and which on what they're going to connect with, what type of message. And it seems like you know you're all about customer. Service, Tristan. You've always been about customer service. Just in our relationship and our friendship together, you know, you've you've just always done similar things to what Shep Hyken preaches, and so it's not a surprise that that's what you uh, gravitated towards. <laughs> that's honestly, funny.
2: yeah, it's funny. Well, dude, yeah, I gravitated to that guy. I was like, oh, I like this
0: guy, and and you know, like I always like teaching tactical things. That's why Ethan and I get along so well. He does he he does such a phenomenal job. Finding the words for the things that I can't necessarily describe or don't do a good job you know, descri- describing, um, and and starting on that high level, and then I like the the tactical elements. And my favorite part from Shep Hyken uh, is when he taught about dangers, uh, opportunities, strengths, and future. You know, the four things that he gets from his potential future customers, his his future customer. He sits down in a meeting with them or he's on a Zoom, and he answers. These questions, danger. What happens if you don't do this right now? If you don't work with me right now? And he gets the answer to that question, and then the opportunity. Um, what's the opportunity if if we if we do a good job at this? If we do this right? And then strengths. What is that person doing that is working for them right now? What strengths do they have? And then future. You know, if we were to get together a year from now, what would make you say that our relationship? Um, This is the best relationship and this is the best thing that has ever happened. And so while he's sitting down with a future customer and he's doing his pitch, he gets those four answers and then he follows up with a video after the fact. And the most important thing is to be seen, heard, felt and understood. And when he follows up with his video after and goes through the danger, the opportunity, the strength in the future, he is showing them that he has seen that customer. He heard them. He listened. He's understanding them and he recites it back to them. And he does it in his ability to connect by using their words, their words back at them to show that he was listening is what helps him close those deals. And so that little tactical element, I love all Shep's yeah, you know, the high level stuff, the 30,000 foot view, but man, like that tactical element that he included in the book and how he does that is freaking amazing. Dude, imagine if we all added that to our business, that would be
2: that I'd love. I took notes on that. I'm like, dude, I am adding that <laughs> yeah. because that is so key. And, and, you know, we're, we're in real estate as well on this side. Mm-hmm. And what, after a presentation, asking that question and following up with a video,
0: right? That that's beautiful, right? Your chances just went up. Painting that picture of them in the future in their new home because they had a great experience. You know, when when someone thinks of something, they have to imagine it, and they imagine in pictures, and they have to put those people there in those places. And the more you can get someone to imagine the future and what that looks like with you in it and you a part of that, the more the easier it's going to be to win that deal, to close that sale, to work with that customer. you got to get them. Uh, human-centered communication is all about emotion. Data plus emotion equals memories. And so you just don't want to give them all the hard numbers on how you're going to sell their home faster than, than everyone else. That's an important part of it. But if you only give them the data without the emotional part, it's not going to be ingrained into their, into their memory, and you need them to remember you. You need to be memorable, and so the emotion part—the part that you can't quantify—it's harder to quantify, it's harder to see, uh, but is as just as important, or even more important than the data part—is uh, where the best salespeople really shine because they connect emotionally. Sales is a transfer of emotion. Mm, I love that sales is a transfer. Did you just come up with that? No. I'm, Absolutely I'm joking. not. <laughs> <I'm> joking,
2: <dude. laughs> All right. Question for you guys. You bring up at the very beginning of the book, digital pollution. And, and I wanted to talk about it half- halfway through because you probably get that question the most. But I still want our audience to understand what it is. Like, what's digital pollution? How how have you defined that and why is it important to know?
1: Cool. So I took the long way around this one. Um, <laughs> digital pollution is our but. I'll start where Steve got us. Steve boiled it down to its essence. Digital pollution is the collective effect of unwelcome digital distractions. Anything that stops you, slows you down, confuses mm-hmm. you, frustrates you, perhaps even threatens you, when you're operating in digital, virtual, and online spaces is, is what we're going to put into the category of digital pollution. And so let's, let's walk that out. Of course, it's spam email. It's spam texts. It's the most popular caller to my phone. I use T-Mobile, and so what T-Mobile shows me is spam likely. So it's a running joke at our house because, of course, we're on a family plan. It's like, oh, who's calling? Oh, it's spam likely. I think your phone's buzzing. Who is it? It's my most popular (laughs) caller, spam likely, right? It's all this unwelcome crap that's in our face that slows us down. It confuses us. It frustrates us. It prevents us from doing what we really want to be doing. It's that anxiety that we feel. Is this email from who it says it's from? Is this link safe to click? Is this attachment actually safe to download? Or is it going to install a bunch of malware on my computer? And so there's a whole range. We give it like kind of a basic three-tiered taxonomy of it that we, that we don't necessarily need to get into here. The most important thing to know about digital pollution, because most people should immediately imagine oh, yeah, every time I get that LinkedIn connection and I get that, like, four-paragraph copy-paste with two links and, like, uh, do you want to outsource some task that you're not even responsible for in your organization? We all know what this looks like. Um, What we need to know as people trying to be successful, connecting, communicating with other people for the benefit of them, for the benefit of us, and for the benefit of our businesses, is that digital pollution muddies the waters, period, when we are reaching out even if we're reaching out in a in a very thoughtful intentional conscious giving forward looking forward acting way our messages are arriving and our posts are appearing in the context of a noisy and polluted environment this means that attention is harder to get even mm-hmm. if we actually deserve it or just think we deserve it it means that trust is harder to establish it means that trust is much more fragile and And we offer this too, because at some level we're often creating pollution as well. There's a pollution confessional in there that I wrote um, <laughs> about you know some of the pollution that I've created in my career and which is to say, I didn't even mention my television career I mean it's, it's just to go back to Seth Godin, Seth Godin describes the television industrial complex, this idea of interruption marketing, this idea of. You want to sell more cereal? Just make more ads, spend millions more dollars, and sell tens of millions of more dollars with the cereal. Mm. Interrupt people in the process of what they're doing and uh, and and sell stuff, right? And we all know that that model is over. Um, but we still have forms of interruption marketing that we're committing today. That's being undisciplined about who we're going to send this mass email to. It, I mean, it just—selfish, lazy, easy, undisciplined— um, often untargeted, often, you know, th- when we're acting in our own interest instead of in the interest of other people and we're not committing the time and thought and perhaps resources necessary to mm-hmm. be more focused, to be more targeted, to be of higher service, to be of higher value, we're often creating digital pollution. So so whether we're creating it, whether we're not, and there's a lot of nuance there too that we, we won't get into about the contextual and, and subjective nature of it, we're operating in this space, and so if we are to earn attention in the future, if we are to establish trust and maintain it, then we need to start being much more intentional about the way that we're reaching out to people, and that leads us to human-centered communication, which, to tie back to the beginning, if digital pollution is unwelcome digital distractions, human-centered communication creates thoughtful digital experiences. And so if we're to b- build relationships and reputation and revenue today and in the long-term, we need to start taking more of a human-centered approach.
2: That's a great answer, man. <laughs> you deserve that that uh, beer you're drinking right now. Yeah. It's, apple it's, just, tea, it's
1: It's tea on my torched throat, but yes.
2: <laughs> that was awesome, man. I love that. I took a couple of notes here. How do you, I was going to ask you, how do we break through? But you just answered it, right? I love that and that goes a along bit. with well we could go we can definitely go deeper and how would you I'm going to go to Steve on this one Steve. Yeah. How how would you suggest that remember this we're we're our audience here entrepreneurs solopreneurs mm-hmm. and and of course a whole bunch of real estate agents too right which fall in between there. But how would you suggest that that these people breakthrough to the audience that they want to connect with better what what are the what are the key things that you think they should focus on
0: um, I'll go back to the word that Ethan used uh, thoughtful you know thoughtful digital experiences and something that that we've talked about now it's we're gonna be a, like a broken record uh, throughout this this uh, this podcast <laughs> interview but it's thinking about things with a future orientation, not backward looking. And so, you know, we have this section in the book where we say like default approach and then it's human centered approach. And some of the things that, that we talk about there is, is why didn't this person open my email? You know, why, why didn't they reply? Why didn't they play my video? Why didn't they do this? Mm-hmm. And all of those things are, are, are backward looking statements um, and things that, that honestly, if you, if if you're saying those things after the fact, then there's a chance that you are digitally polluting. You're putting out content that that isn't right for for those recipients. And I love it in chapter three with Jocko. You know he 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 equates it to trawler fishing. You know, which is throwing these gigantic nets in the ocean, and you're trying to catch one specific fish, but you just wipe out entire ecosystems. And yes, you caught that. <laughs> you caught that fish and that's great but now the ecosystem is ruined and he calls that a counter impact And you know if you think retroactively after the fact after you create your marketing, after you do the campaigns, after you put together the emails and you just blast it out, yeah, you might have got a couple of responses but what about the 97% of the people that ignored you mm. and that 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 didn't engage with your message you know we are creatures of habit and and people get into, If you continuously, you know, something Ethan and I say a lot, we say, you know, every email you send, every message you send, every video uh, that you send teaches someone whether or not they should open your subsequent message, video, email, etc. It teaches them. And so if you're blasting all these messages out and you're saying, yeah, I got some people, but you're not focusing on the 97% that you're not getting, At what detriment to your business? What's the counter impact? Because now they are learning to ignore you each and every time that you send a message. And so if your open rates aren't high, so what's the the approach? What should you be doing? Well, it's a future-oriented approach. It's why would they open my email, which obviously requires some time to sit down ahead of time and think about your audience like we talked about numerous times already. What are they feeling? What are they thinking? What do they want? How How you can help them? And if you think about why, what's, what's the value in this email, what's the value in this social media message, why would he or she uh, reply, why would they play my video? All these elements uh, go together into a human-centered approach. And so there isn't like one – what you'll find as you read through all the different chapters in the book, everyone has a different approach for human-centered communication – um, and there's different, we have different frameworks in there. You can get some from Morgan J. Ingram, which he does a lot of prospecting. So if you're looking for yeah. prospecting, you want to head to his chapter. Um, if you're looking for more of a human-centered approach to personal branding, you would go to Adam Contos's chapter. Like, and That's the exciting part about the book, right? We have all these different ways to be more human-centered. But again, not to sound like a broken record, it all comes back to the needs, wants and interests of your recipient. And we don't do enough of that because... One last thing, and then I promise I'll I'll, I'll I'll shut up. But the the pendulum, you know, I I was selling real estate tools since 2000. And in, in the year 2000, I was so excited to sell someone a CRM product because they could put in someone's email address and send out messages to them continuously. But that's before we received hundreds of emails in our inboxes every day. You know, some people got like 20 emails a day or 30 emails a day back then in in 2000. It wasn't a lot. We weren't inundated. We weren't drowning in that digital pollution. And so as we created all these great technology tools and products that allowed us to automate relationships, everybody is gravitating towards it. And like, yes, I can put more in the top and I'm going to get more out of the bottom. But we reached... We reached a threshold, we reached the limit, and and the, the dam has busted, and we were just way too far down the wrong path because we just because you can automate something doesn't mean you should. And we went, the pendulum swung <laughs> way too far on the left side, and what we're trying to do is just bring it back a bit. Yes, automation's great to the right people at the right time, but we need to be more thoughtful in our approach.
2: Yeah, I like that. And Ethan? You look super quiet and thoughtful. Were you thinking of what to say to Steve after all that?
1: Uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I was curious to know where we were going to go next. But the one thing I will add, <laughs> and again, and, and again, this goes back to the pollution part. Like, but people, people might. I, I want to speak to the skeptic. Someone's like, but it's working, right? My kind of mass blast, spray yeah. and pray stuff works. When I put out a bunch of messages, some people reply, right? Mm. You know if. if and, and so it's working. And I just want to caution, what looks like it's working might not actually be working. And what Steve, I just want to plus up what Steve said. Every message we send trains people to open or delete our next message or whatever, video, digital experience, whatever. And our name and our reputation and our brand is built on that. And so if you're constantly reaching out to somebody or paying for ads to be in their feed or showing up in their inbox and people, you know, you maybe get them with a good clickbait headline. They open it up. They're, they're, there's this anticipation. They were excited to open it up. They were excited <laughs> to see what you promised. And you fail them, right? That's the disappointment part to go with the anticipation of disappointment. Um, you're training them th- – this person is not worth my time and attention. Now, they're never going to say this consciously, but they're going to know humans are pattern-making machines. Like Steve, I could trigger Steve on a 10-minute monologue mm-hmm. on humans as pattern-making machines and, and the shortcuts and habits that we build for ourselves. But the interesting nuance here is that because of the ever-increasing digital noise and pollution, machines mm-hmm. are also learning from the way humans are behaving. So not only are humans learning That person's name or email address, when it hits my inbox, is going to be a swipe-delete. You know, like we all have the habitual like, oh yeah, I haven't unsubscribed because that's like three more clicks, just swipe-delete, swipe-delete. Humans are learning that. That's what we've already established. Machines are learning from humans' behavior. And because there's more noise and pollution than ever before, our digital experiences as recipients of these are going to be more curated by more machines in the future. We already see this mm-hmm. with contextual social feeds and contextual yeah. uh, Google results, etc. If you Google something on the west side of town, you're gonna get different results than if you Google the same thing on the east side of town. Um, mm. if, you, if you and I, Tristan, are connected to the same 10,000 people on LinkedIn, exact same people, and we both refresh our feeds at the exact same time, our feeds are going to look dramatically different because of what you've liked, what you've commented on, who's commented on your stuff, et cetera. That's all machines learning On human behavior and curating experiences that are meant to be more valuable and interesting engaging for the person who's logging in, showing up, checking their inbox, whatever. I remember when the world flipped out when Google introduced the tabbed inbox. How dare Gmail put my mass email that's untargeted, I blasted all 4,800 people in my database (laughs) with the exact same message. How dare they sequester that to the promotion tab? right? They're doing it for the benefit of the recipient. And so that is only going to happen more and more and more and more because we humans don't have the time or the mental energy five years from now, just think about all the digital noise and pollution that's going to exist. We, We don't have the time or the capacity to do it. We're going to increasingly rely on machines. And the only thing machines can learn from, the only thing we can train algorithms on is what people are clicking on, what they're looking on, how long the dwell time is, We've all seen the visual heat maps of how people mm. engage with different ads and web pages, et cetera. Mm. All that is going to roll together. And if you suck... Because people don't like what you're giving them and you're building a negative reputation and negative relationships because you're just kind of essentially spamming people in one form or another. Mm -hmm. It's not just the people that are getting turned off. It's the machines. And so that's why we call human-centered communication, today's path to tomorrow's revenue. You're You're teaching people and machines that you are worth their time, that you're worth their attention, that you value their time and attention in a way that is consistent and predictable and in a way that builds trust.
2: Dude. Sorry, so I guess I I did have something. You did have something. Ethan, damn it? Yeah.
0: And that's why Ethan wrote the book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's why your name wasn't on that your yeah. <laughs> yeah right I'm joking Steve uh, <laughs> did, would you guys consider uh, toxic people that post on social to be
0: digital pollution um, well it's it's it, it all depends on the recipient right it all depends on it, it's the eye of the beholder you know because it, if that's what you're looking for some people are just as toxic and when they see someone else spewing toxic, information out there they want to be like yeah because that's that's their whole mo but for the majority of the folks out there you know it's it's eye beholder eye of the beholder and it's no thank you i i don't want that and that's an unwelcome digital distraction but again there has to be some not again i guess i'm making this point for the first time there has to be uh, some level of accountability, though, because if, if, if that is in your social feed and you allow yourself to get distracted by that, by going into the comments and reading it, you know, that, that's your own damn fault. <laughs> you know, like you can, you can keep on going by. <laughs> All right. That makes
1: sense. Yeah. And, and, and again, pollution is both contextual and subjective. Yeah. And by that, I mean it's up to each person in the moment to decide. I mentioned in, in that last kind of monologue that you triggered – uh, actually, I just took the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, um, I did that, yeah. I didn't trigger yeah. <laughs>
2: anything no, you
1: did I'm um,
2: joking
1: you know in in that last one, you know, I mentioned we all know I, this happens to me like I'll go through unsubscribe fits, but mm. in between those fits where I unsubscribe from three or four or ten things, True. you know, it's just swipe, delete, swipe delete, swipe delete, swipe delete, like I don't know how I got in this daily or this weekly email. I bought that one thing three months ago, but this company decides they want to continue selling me stuff, so they keep sending me emails. I just haven't bothered to unsubscribe yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, in the moment, we get to decide whether or not we this is actually useful today. And so you and I, Tristan, might get the exact same email from the exact same company at the exact same time for the exact same reason, and you might say, I don't need this right now, swipe, delete, or unsubscribe. But I might go, oh my gosh, this is super helpful. Likewise. I might get that exact same email a month earlier or three months later and decide it's not great for me at that time. And so – and that's the Mm -hmm. challenge of this. I know it's a little bit wishy-washy, but it depends on who is receiving it and when and what they feel and think about it at Mm -hmm. that time. And so – You know, to Steve's point there, you know, someone that you, the three of us might look at and say, this digital behavior on Instagram is ludicrous. It's Mm. so over the top. It's, it's ego driven. It's laughable. Can you believe it? Um, but- it has 187 likes and 52 comments, and so someone's into it. So, what is pollution to me is not necessarily pollution for you. And what I, perhaps, as a creator of these messages and experiences, think like this isn't pollution. Well, it's really not for me to decide. It's for the people that are receiving it to say, "Is this for me? Is this about me? Does this uh, provide me value?" Does this, and this is the key thing. And I'll go this time tying back to my previous response. Does this reward my time and attention in a way that leaves me with a better feeling or a better thought about this person so that I am more likely in the future to give them my time and attention again?
2: Dude, and on that, I've noticed that the way that people function with with what they think is, is perceived value, right, based on what you're sending, they sometimes don't have time to engage with that right then. But they know that it's valuable because it's coming from you. You created it. So they save Mm -hmm. it for later.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And that that's often something that we forget. Right. They may never even go back to it. But the fact that they just saved it is important for us. Right.
0: Yeah. That's 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 an action. mm -hmm. And, And it. If they're saving something, the average human makes 35,000 decisions every single day, 35,000. If you're thinking that sounds like way too many, I don't make that many decisions. Like you just nodded your head, you just looked to the right, Tristan, you just moved your mouth. There's three decisions that you just made in a matter of seconds. So and all of thousand. these Jeez. all of these decisions the majority of our daily decisions are unconscious our brain likes to find patterns and once it finds a pattern it it yeah. stores it away into the autonomous part of your brain without getting into the specific details and this is the the lay version, but you know, it stores it away in the autonomous part of your brain. And then when that trigger pops up again, it says, "Ah, I know how to deal with that. I know how to deal with that. And then the pattern just goes, it just clicks. Mm. Um, And so if you are storing, like if you receive something and you read the first thing and then you store the next thing, there's that pattern. And your brain is conditioned to say, Oh, this, Ethan always sends, and this is what Ethan was talking about before, Tristan always sends helpful information. I like hearing from Tristan. And that pattern keeps going because we're training people whether or not they should open, save, click, uh, et cetera, your next message. So so in essence, what we want to do is we want to help
2: people create positive patterns when our name comes across their plate.
0: That is exactly correct. You said it well. All right, uh, that's my next book. I'm just going to call it. <laughs> it. I'm just, I'm messing Help with it. people create positive <laughs> patterns. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a <laughs> title, but yeah, anyway. Uh,
2: all right. Oh, you should have heard favorite? all the
0: titles we hated. Wait, we t- what, what was what
2: was the almost
0: title? The one that almost made it. Go, oh, go see, back. What to, was go back to the first book though, because this one's easy. On the first book.
1: Uh, the first one was called Relationships Through Video. It turned out oh, well, to be humanized
0: But it was also, wait, this one's even worse. Are you ready? Ethan, yeah. You, you, you remember this. And, and, and we weren't close. I wouldn't say we're close, but it was kicked around the book to be called Video Email. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so yes. Yeah, the, 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 the proto- works, <laughs> The the second book was a bit easier cuz you know, we we had this dynamic the team created, you know, that the human centered communication terminology. Ethan and I didn't even coin that phrase. Other team members got together in a group and came up with that, and then Ethan and I were like, "Oh, oh okay, let's take oh, this baby over dude, yeah. here, and let's put it into this thing." Yeah, so it's yeah. a good title, man. That is a very yeah, good title.
1: I, I just pulled it up on my screen. The original working title and subtitle were "The Psychology of Selling with Video: Ten Experts' Insights into Revenue Relationships and Human Centered Communication." Uh, just a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> this is a little
0: long. Yeah. You got to get through the crap before you get to the goal. And, and again, the <laughs> one thing I,
1: the one thing I love about moving off of that title, and Steve said it in the beginning, this is about so much more than video. But because, and that's why I like this better than the psychology of selling with video. But because so much of our work is being done digitally, virtually, and online, there are things that there's behavior adapted from sellers and buyers, and I'm using those terms generically for people involved in any commercial relationship. Um, there are things that we've both adapted on both sides of our commercial relationship that we're never going to change. Anything that buyers like and that sellers like, we ain't going back. Anything that buyers really like, we're probably not going back to the way it was pre-pandemic. And if you're a seller and you really like doing something digitally, virtually, or online, but buyers don't prefer that, that's probably not going to stick and we'll revert back. Mm -hmm. So, Knowing that we're stuck in digital, virtual, and online channels more often in the future than less, we need to recognize that so much of our digital communication is visually and emotionally impoverished. Steve spoke to the importance of both of those things earlier in the conversation, and therefore video has a very important role to play here. But human-centered communication is so much more important and bigger than video alone. But video, as you know, Tristan, as someone who's read the book, plays a very important role throughout the pages.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, dude, you guys work with bomb bomb, so of course figures, right? And it's it's such a big I mean, dude, who would have thought TikTok would have been on the rise right now? It's like TikTok <laughs> is just taking over. That's where social media starts now. Yeah. And it's all video. All of it, right? And I mean, it's just going to be more and more and more and more of it. And I think we're going to start getting even more spammed
0: with crappy videos. And that, that's the truth. I walked upstairs on Thanksgiving. I was in, we were at my sister's house. I was in her basement. She's got like a nice little basement set up with the TV for the football games. And I was sitting down there with the kids who enjoy football. And I walked upstairs to my mother and both of my sisters standing in front of a phone. I never thought I would see this ever in my entire life. And they're doing some TikTok dance, and I was like, "Oh, I, oh dude! I like my, my not gonna lie. They had a couple of drinks because, like, that, that is not my mother. But they somehow convinced her to do this dance. And I'm like, if if they infiltrated my mom, and now my mom is is doing this with my sisters who are much, much, much older than I am. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> funny, I man. I don't know. <laughs> well, video, video's away, man.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, It's just going to get even more and more integrated into everything that we do. I wonder if we should start sending out newsletters in video format only, you know?
1: Well, something we, some, our president and co-founder, Darren Dawson, started doing at BombBomb. Mm-hmm. Even pre-pandemic was he started doing just like a weekly video. He felt like he didn't have, and this is before we all, you know, Shut the office down and went back to our houses back in March of twenty. Uh, what is that? March twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, he has started several months before that uh, a monthly video with success stories. What's going on in different departments? Um, big big uh, companies that just signed on as customers with us, and mm. you know just a variety of different announcements for people. And doing it in video, a people feel closer to him. Right? People that, yeah. and, and, and then now here we are, almost two years into this whole experience. Most of us still aren't in the office. I am because it's near my house and the internet here is awesome. Um, and it's bigger <laughs> than my bedroom where I was working from home. And, um,
2: and the wall is gray. Uh,
1: yeah, it is. Battleship gray, in fact. Let's... And uh, yeah, which we established. Um, m- now, fully one third of our company has been hired remotely. And they've never met Darren in person, and they may never meet Darren in person, but every week they get to see him, they get to hear his expertise, his excitement, his interest, his concern, his passion about what's going on in the business. And he does it by email, and he does it by Slack. He records a bomb bomb video. You can distribute them a variety of different ways. And so there are a number of things that if you look around in the way that you're trying to connect and communicate with all of the people around you— All of the people in your business ecosystem, whether they're customers, prospects, employees, people you're trying to recruit into your organization, Mm. partners, strategic partners, suppliers, vendors, et cetera, when you look at all the different ways that you're reaching out to them, and I'm thinking about this in terms of trying to get a yes, a big yes or a little yes. Yes, I'll return that phone call. Yes, I'll reply to this email. Yes, I'll make that personal introduction. Yes, I'll honor your request, whatever that might be. There's so many instances in which a video, or better yet, a video message, because it's asynchronous, it's outside of time and outside of distance, is going to help you communicate that better, and it's going to help them understand more effectively. It's gonna, they're going to understand your sincerity or gratitude or passion or concern or excitement or these things that don't come through when we get intellectual, we get conscious, we peck things into a keyboard and hope that people get us. We hope that people understand, or, or worse, we assume we don't even question it. We just mm. assume they're going to understand where we're coming yeah. from, and so I I, 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 that's yes, video is the way, and it's not about. <laughs> and here's the thing: it's I not have to about. Be careful Gary.
2: what questions I ask you. Ethan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's it's not about video. Is the point? That's another key message in this whole thing. It's not about video. It's about you and the other person and what is going to help them understand you or what's going to demonstrate your understanding of them better. And video is going to do that better for you in so many cases than what, what we would otherwise rely on when we're digital.
2: You know, I felt like as I was reading the whole book, I felt like you were really emphasizing the importance of understanding our audience so that we can better understand the value we need to bring to them. And mm-hmm. then that kind of narrows the communication gap.
0: Right. So, i love that
2: that's what you took away from it yeah dude so question for you guys then what are you current i'm going to go to you steve first what what are you working on right now as far as if you were going to read the book and say look i, I want to get better at communication right or communicating with others whether it's family prospects just out there what are you working on that you want to get better at
0: yeah, I think as parents, you know, I'm working a lot on communication with with my children. Um, and as parents, the the key phrase that Ethan mentioned once or twice uh, throughout this is is meeting someone where they are, not where you want them to be. And personally, that's what I'm working on, you know, we have these ideals for our children and what we want for them. And Mm. we need to understand that they're all in different places. And even each individual child, you know, I have twins and sometimes, you know, you can get caught into thinking they're the same person, which is the very worst thing that you can possibly do to a twin, because (laughs) that is the, that is what 100% what they do not want. You know, they don't want to be grouped together. They want to be an individual with someone else. And so Uh treating them independently uh, from one another and meeting them where each individual is not where I want them to be is something that I've been working on uh, a lot and will continue to work on because I, I don't think that's something that you succeed at wholly. You know, it's, it's a it's a work in progress. <laughs> that's
2: really good, dude. I, I could see how you getting better at that then makes your relationship with your spouse better and then mm-hmm. with the people around you better and so forth. That's really good. How about you, Ethan?
1: Um, being—I uh, know it's going to be this is going la- to be a laugh line. You guys ready? Yeah. Be- being more concise. <laughs> you
2: know, d- well, that d- was d- good. The, being more that was excellent. Oh, dude, the, good the job. Only time, the
1: only time—the only time <laughs> I re-record a video is when I feel like I could have done it in thirty fewer seconds or forty fewer seconds or whatever. And so, what I'm trying to do now is be really clear with myself on a lot of the themes we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um. What I'm really trying to do here, and just creating that 10, 20, 30, 40 second pause before I even hit record to make sure that I'm clear what I need to include, what I want to include, what would be helpful for somebody else or for the other people, um, and trying not just to like kind of do it on the fly and just, you know, capture my stream of consciousness in the moment. Um, Just, you know, just the undisciplined communication that's so easy and fast and quick and it feels productive and it's satisfying. And we're like, yep, got that done. It doesn't like mean that. it
2: works. Yeah. No, but dude, I, I, I love your answers, both of you. So it's a, it's a little different than, than what I thought, which is nice. Um, it gets me thinking too, like as people are listening in, I'd like you to think, you know, what are, what are you currently working on? Cause I don't think a lot of people are like, Hey, what am I currently working on in the form of communication do people even think about that normally? Uh, this book got me thinking like, dude, I really need to get better at providing great value for, for the people I'm trying to connect with. Because sometimes I get a little bit lazy. I'm like, eh, you know, what? here it is, right? And then I'm teaching people whether or not to delete it or to open it or to, or to save it, right? So yeah. I, I love that. So question, last question for you guys. Are you working on a third book right now or an idea? No,
0: (laughs) that's an easy one. No, Ethan Ethan didn't say no. Ethan Uh, smiled. uh,
1: Uh, I know, it's funny. After the first book, it's funny. (laughs) After the first book, we would playfully tease each other. Like, hey, I got an idea for a second book. And sometimes it was partly serious, but we both knew that it was too soon. Like, now, man, too soon. And that's where we are with this one right now. And then, you know, at some point, uh, about a year and a half ago, year, year and a half ago, I knew Steve was serious when he was like, I got an idea. Here's the idea. Um, and it, and the idea already had baked in. Let's not just rely on our own expertise and the things that we're learning and teaching and the stories that we've collected. Let's go out and talk to, you know, eight or 12 other people and really bring in a variety of other voices into the conversation. And so um, what you see here in human-centered communication today is... Um, a really nice, thoughtful, developed result of Steve looking me dead in the eye serious one time, saying I got an idea for another <laughs> book. That hasn't happened. I don't think it'll happen again soon. There's just so much to unpack here. I mean, we could have done it this hour that we've done, and thank you so much for it. I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. kind of the way you're thinking about it, and Steve already said it once, but I'll say it again. It's, it's, just, it's a really an honor to hear what connected with you and what you took away from it? It means that we kind of did our job, or we at least did our job with you, which did, is did. great. Um, you know, it, it, something else will emerge, and it may wind up in book form. But we could have done an hour on any on one chapter. of these chapters. Yeah, we didn't mention sure we didn't mention have. any of these other. Pieces. So there's there's just so much more for us even to explore mm-hmm. and what exists there, um, and anything? how to uh, share it with other people. Did
2: you have a favorite chapter? Like anything that stood for you? <laughs>
1: Um, I'll, you know what I'll say? Of the three through 13, mm-hmm. um, so chapter one's digital pollution, chapter two is human centered communication, three through 13 features individual people, and then 14, 15, 16 are kind of round up, digest, look to the future. So of three through 13, my favorite trio is three, four, five. Um, they're the big ideas, oh. you know, Jacko Vanderkoy, and really talking about the state of affairs and sales and marketing and service and revenue generation. And then Dan Hill, the emotional intelligence expert with seven u s. patents in the analysis of facial coding data. And then Matthew Sweezy, the marketing futurist at Salesforce. Um, mm-hmm. It just set such a big picture mm-hmm. and scene that gave context and setup for all the kind of slightly more specific and less abstract, Chapters that followed in six through thirteen that that got you know blended strategy with tactics a lot more. I think those three really set the whole thing up nicely and their big ideas and um, I get that those three I guess. But it's it's hard. I mean, you love all your children.
2: How about you, Steve? Uh, It's so
0: lame because. my my answer is the same. And I was trying to, like, think of a <laughs> th- th- Come on. think of a think of a good answer, you know, but like, that's just the truth. The truth is, I, I agree. It's that it's that three, the way they connect with one another. You know, it would with Jocko just kicking it off you know, with trawler fishing and then getting into it with Matthew Sweezy and Dan. And it's just it's good stuff. Well, All it's right, well, it's
1: like a it's like a killer Spotify playlist.
0: Yeah. All mm. the tracks are good
1: in different ways and they make something together on whole. Each one stands on its own. You might have a couple favorite tracks on there, but you know, the sixth one you like because of the way it's set up by the two in front of it. I will say the way we sequence this: Dan Tire at chapter 13. So Dan Tyre is the first salesperson at HubSpot and the sixth employee at HubSpot. And I mean, not compared to maybe the three of us, but like really a a video pioneer. He's been doing it for, you know, I think five years now, four or five years. He's been using video messages very aggressively, but he covers a lot of different ground and kind of, he he kind of bookends or anchors that series for a reason. We also hear from three of his uh, team members at HubSpot on how they're using video and why they're excited about video. But um, I just want to. I just wanted to step out with that playlist or mixtape concept because you might have a couple favorites in there, but man, they're all there for a reason, and they complement one another, and they create an experience yeah, collectively do. as well as individually.
2: When's the Audible coming out,
1: Steve? I'll let you take that one.
0: We talked about it. A lot um we don't know if it's the <laughs> if it's the right format for this book uh, we're just just not quite quite sure and, you know there's there's just so much in it that we don't think would relate to the to the audio version and plus having 11 different people and then reading their chapters you could just you could just have morgan freeman read the whole thing mm. and done Done.
1: And that sounds (laughs) like it fits the budget. That definitely fits the budget.
0: That's (laughs) what I was thinking. If you could hook us up with your relationship there, that would be amazing. Thanks, Tristan. That's
2: funny. Guys, Guys, we should do another podcast and just talk about paint color and furniture design. I think we could really do well. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, thanks for being on, guys. How, How do people follow you and where do they find the book? Uh, you,
1: can find me, you can find me on pretty much any social network as Ethan Butte. The last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E, or you can email me directly, ethan at bombomb.com. Uh, you can find the book, actually both books. I'll just give you one address. You can find them both uh, at bombbombcom slash book. That's the word bomb twice, B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B.com slash book. Or you can search human-centered communication or rehumanize your business at Amazon.
0: Awesome. yeah and same steve? thing Stephen passanelli it's with the p-h-s-t-e-p-h-e-n passanelli p-a-c-i-n-e-l-l-i uh connect with me on on linkedin twitter it's all the same actually i think on twitter it's steve passanelli i always, always forget uh and then same thing for the book obviously in bombbomb.com. awesome guys thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it yeah thanks for having us on it was a blast
1: yeah good to catch up those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.